So today I want us to continue in our series, The Charismatic Confusion. And as we talked about last week, the charismatic um, uh, idea, the charismatic doctrines that you see flowing through a lot of our Christian denominations was really a movement that started back in the early 1900s, at the beginning of the 20th century, at a revival in uh, Southern California. And essentially in that revival, there were some folks who began to stand up and say that after they had already been saved, that they had now been baptized in the Holy Spirit. They were essentially adding another step into the salvation process by saying that once you're saved, that isn't it. There's got to be another level of spiritual um, acquaintance that you receive with God in order for you to reach that fullness of your potential in Christ. Well, as Baptists, we don't believe that. As Baptists, we believe that when you are born again, the Bible teaches the oldest passed away, behold, all things are made new. At the moment you trust by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, based upon his death, burial, and resurrection, you are instantaneously saved to the uttermost. Fully saved, 100% saved, nothing else to be done in terms of your salvation. The Holy Spirit fully indwells you. The Holy Spirit is a person. We believe that our God is one God who exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And if we believe the Holy Spirit is a person of the Godhead, then we also believe that a person cannot be divided. In other words, you can't get a little bit of the Holy Spirit today and a little bit more tomorrow. You either have him or you don't have him. So today we are want, wanting to argue against this confusion that comes through this charismatic movement. We want to argue against it, not just because we're Baptists and we don't believe that, but because the Bible teaches against that. The Bible teaches an orderly way. The Bible teaches another way. And that is the way that we want to embrace as a Bible-believing church. So last week we talked about biblical healing. And we said that, yes, indeed, God heals, but God does not heal any longer through the touch of a man or a woman. In other words, we don't believe that there are healers in the church anymore. We don't believe that there are people with the gift of healing. We believe that God heals by prayer. Like in the book of James, in James chapter 5, the Bible says that if there are any sick among you, have them call for the elders of the church so they can pray over them and anoint them with oil so that the prayer of faith may heal the sick. We believe that faith in God, prayer to God, in, in interceding on the behalf of a sick loved one is how someone is healed. Now, we know that even when that happens, it may not be the will of God to heal that person at that moment. They may be uh, given that burden for a particular purpose or for a reason. But we can only see healing when it is the power of God, not through the touch of a man or a woman. Well, today we're going to talk about biblical prophecy. So we're going to ask ourselves, what is biblical prophecy? There's so many connotations that go with the word prophecy. It's such a loaded word that has so many things that are attached to it. Whether you uh, have a church background or whether you don't, you're going to have questions about this word prophecy. And you're going to already have in your mind some thoughts about that word. But what we're going to do is, is we're going to look at what prophecy is not. And then we're going to look at what biblical prophecy is. Okay, what biblical prophecy is not and what biblical prophecy is. If you go by just simply the Webster's Dictionary definition, you're going to find that prophecy is simply a prediction. Now, if you think about a prediction, um, there's a few times that I've told my children and others that I know that if you don't learn how to respect authority, you will have a really difficult life ahead of you. Now, that's a prediction, okay? I, I, I'm making a prediction when I say that. I'm saying, based upon your behavior now, I'm predicting that your life is going to be very difficult for you if you don't change your ways. Maybe your friend is about to take off on a long road trip. 
or maybe it's your wife or your husband. Their car is smoking, it's past due for an oil change, and all four tires are bald and low on air. You make the statement, I'm afraid you won't make it to your destination with your car in that kind of shape. Well, that's a prediction. You're basing a prediction based upon the facts. It's a logical prediction. So according to Webster's Dictionary, these may be considered prophecies because these are simply predictions. However, this is not biblical prophecy. And we have to be able to divide the two and understand what prophecy is in the context of the Bible and the context of the church. Biblical prophecy always involves, listen to me carefully, biblical prophecy always involves the words of God. Biblical prophecy is the communication of what God has said. All right? So as we look at this, the first thing, if you're taking notes, if you're writing these things down, what biblical prophecy is not. Let's first find out what it is not, and then we can talk about what it actually is. So in our scripture, we're going to be in the book of Acts, chapter 3, and we're going to begin in verse 17. So if you will, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Acts, chapter 3, beginning in verse 17. And for the introduction, we're just going to read through verse 23. So if you guys will, once you found your place, stand to your feet as we read the Word of God. All right, Acts chapter 3, verse 17, the Bible says this. And now, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your leaders also did. In this way, God fulfilled what he had predicted through all the prophets, that his Messiah would suffer. Therefore, repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus, who has been appointed for you as the Messiah. Heaven must receive him until the time of the restoration of all things, which God spoke about through his holy prophets from the beginning. Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. You must listen to everything he tells you, and everyone who does not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from the people." Let's pray. Dear God, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful, Lord, that you have clearly defined for us what prophecy is, what truth is, how it is to be communicated to us, and how we are to view biblical prophecy in the year 2022. Lord, as we think through our doctrines of faith, our statement of faith as a local Bible-believing church, help us to be more grounded in what we believe. Help us to know why we believe what we believe. Help us not to be just Christians in name only, but Lord, help us to be Christians who know the truth and who live the truth. And God, we entrust this time into your hands. Holy Spirit, this is your service. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So what biblical prophecy is not? Well, it all really centers around ignorance. And we see there in verse 17 of chapter 3 of Acts, And now, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance just as your leaders also did. So here we have Peter's second sermon following the day of Pentecost. And Peter is beginning to preach the gospel to Jews. Now we know and understand that the Jews rejected their own. That Jesus even himself said that a prophet does not have any honor in his own country. Jesus really didn't have any um, uh, success in Nazareth, his hometown, because his own people rejected him. And then he comes into Jerusalem. We know that on Palm Sunday he rode in on that donkey and he was cheered and he was revered as though he was a king. But then a very short time later he was arrested and beaten and flogged and hung on a cross by his own people. 
through ignorance, through the rejection of biblical prophecy, the Jews killed their own Messiah. The very Messiah that had been predicted and uh, said over and over and over again in their own books of the Bible, in the Old Testament, it was said over and over again that he would come and that he would suffer, they rejected him. Here Peter is saying they rejected him because of ignorance, because they did not realize or know that Jesus was the true Messiah. Peter's rebuking them for being so ignorant that they failed to believe in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. But today I want to warn you that in the same way that they rejected the truth due to ignorance, we can believe a lie due to ignorance. Today in the same way that the Jews said, Jesus is not the Messiah, he is a false, he is a fake, kill him and crucify him. Today you can believe a lie based on that same kind of ignorance. You can believe a lie of mankind, of false prophets, of people who want to project themselves as the answer to your problems. You can very easily believe a lie today if you are ignorant of the word of God. You know, a few things that I wanna warn you about is this. First of all, do not believe it when someone stands and says that God showed them the future. Do not believe that today. Now, in the Old Testament, we understand that people indeed predicted the future. But I'm going to tell you in a little while, while that is no longer acceptable. Do not believe someone if they tell you God told them that you should do something. Listen, we believe in a personal God. And when our God wants us to do something, guess what? He talks to us. If someone is trying to pressure you and use pressure tactics to say, now listen, God told me that you were going to do this, or God told me that you were going to be a preacher, or God told me that you were going to uh, serve in this capacity, or God told me uh, that, that you're, you're going to lose your job, or whatever it may be, my friends, that ought to throw up some red flags. That is not biblical. Believe me, we serve a God who is personal. You remember what our Bible study lesson this morning told us about Joshua? As Joshua was about to cross the Jordan River into the promised land, what did God say to Joshua? I will be with you. In other words, Joshua, I have a relationship with you, and guess what? I'm going to be with you. I'm a personal God, and I'm going to draw close to you. And I promise you today that if God wants you to do something, God will tell you. He will speak to you. Now, I'm not saying that brothers and sisters in Christ can't encourage us. They can't say, you know what? You do really well teaching. Have you ever considered being a Bible study teacher? That's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. That's an encouragement about someone's talents and gifts. But don't ever speak on the authority of God and try to persuade or perpetuate God's will on someone's life based upon what you think they should be doing. We should never do that in those specific ways. Don't ever believe someone if they tell you God spoke to them and told you to do something contradictory to the word of God. You know, it may be a situation where we have a man and a woman and, and financial restraints make it uh, just make sense for them to live together outside of marriage. It makes sense for them. They're in a romantic relationship and they move in together because they say, you know what? Right now, it doesn't make financial sense for us to get married. Right now, it doesn't work for us, but we love each other. And you know what? God has told us that it's okay. Well, I'm going to say right off the bat that that is false. That if someone told you that that was okay, it was not God. And you need to be careful who you're listening to. Because anytime someone speaks on the authority of God and says, God said this, but yet it contradicts his word, it is not God that said it. God cannot lie, and God will never speak of anything that goes against his word. Remember, the Bible teaches us that God, 
excuse me, God cannot even lie. God cannot tell a lie. As a matter of fact, the father of all lies is Satan. And we have to be careful that sometimes what you're being told could be an impersonation. Anytime you are told something and you feel being, being led to do something, always filter it through the word of God. If you're feeling led to do something that is contradictory, you do not need to do it. Amen? Don't believe someone if they make a truth claim that is contradictory to the word of God. If someone just comes up and says, listen, you know, it's okay if you, um, if you do this in these particular circumstances. When you know that the Bible says not to do that, when you know that it is sin and you know that it is wrong, these are things that biblical prophecy is not. Now, I do want to, to preface this next thing when we talk about what biblical prophecy is, is there is an element of biblical prophecy that predicts the future. There is an element of biblical prophecy that we should hold to as the words of God. But it should only be done in certain ways and under certain circumstances. And it all hinges around the completion of the word of God. If you remember us talking last week about biblical healing, we said that the era of the apostles, the time of the New Testament church, as it was being born in the first century, just shortly after Jesus' ascension into heaven, we said that God, and it says this in the book of Luke, that God gave the apostles the power to heal, to speak in tongues, and to prophesy. And we see later on that the reason he gave them those gifts was because they were going to be going out and preaching a new gospel. They were going to be going out and preaching something that no one had ever heard before. Remember, Jesus had just died and rose again and ascended to heaven. This Christianity thing was brand spanking new. And it was, it was a new doctrine, and it was a new movement. And they didn't have the New Testament at that point. The New Testament was still being in process and still being written and still unfolding progressively. So as these apostles were going to the ends of the earth preaching the gospel of Jesus, God was giving them the ability to heal by their touch. He was giving them the ability to speak other languages that was not their native languages. He was giving them the ability to prophesy and speak on behalf of God when there was no other writings from what they were speaking about. And he was doing that in order to authenticate the gospel message that the apostles were preaching. In other words, believe what I'm saying based upon these signs that I'm doing before you. And I will also say this, that the Bible teaches us that the Jews required a sign. The Jews were that kind of people. They wanted proof. They wanted a sign that what was being preached and what was being taught was truth. And if you notice, the apostles first preached to the Jews. That is who they first went to. And at one point in church history, they stopped evangelizing the Jews and they spread to the Gentile world. And we're thankful that they did that because we are all benefactors of God sharing the gospel with Gentiles. We are all Gentiles unless there's any Jews in here. So when you think about it like that, we understand that these sign gifts... This, the gifts that the charismatic movement is perpetuating that still exist today is actually being taken out of context. Basically, they're scooping up something that was a one-time deal, a one-time event for the birth of the church. They're scooping it up, and they're carrying it to modern days. And they're saying the same way that it happened at Pentecost, the same way that it happened with the apostles, it is happening that way today. And they're dropping it in on us in 2022. And I'm saying this, that if you don't rightly divide the word of truth, you're going to end up in confusion. 
If you don't rightly divide God's word and study it appropriately, take it into context and understand the background and the context of the events that happened in the first century, and you try to rip them up and bring them to today, you will have confusion. I would dare say today that many, many churches that are very heavily charismatic are a mile wide and an inch deep. Because what happens is, is when you get into a a situation like that, that there's chaos that brews because there's so much disorder in that situation that there is no focus on the preaching of the Word of God. You know, if, if we had a church service here at Pole Creek and the same person kept popping up and interrupting me when I was preaching, eventually that person would be talked to and said, you know, we understand that God leads and God moves. However, you're interrupting the preaching of God's Word. And in order for the rest of the church to be fed, you've got to remain quiet while the Word is being preached. Now, hey, I love it when people say amen. I love it when people shout it out and say hallelujah. But there's times when we got to be orderly. There's times when we got to focus on what we're here to do. And that is to learn and dwell and meditate on the Word of God and to worship His holy name. So order is very important. So what biblical prophecy is? Well, verses 18 through 26 really speak to that. But since I already read through verse 23, I'm going to read verses 24 through 26 now. So if you're in Acts chapter 3, the Bible says this. In addition, all the prophets who have spoken from, Dan- from Samuel, those after him, have also foretold these days. In other words, these have also predicted the future, the days that we are in now. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your ancestors, saying to Abraham, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through your offspring. God raised up his servant and sent him first to you, to bless you by turning each of you from your evil ways. So what we need to see is that biblical prophecy that took place before the Bible was completed is different than biblical prophecy that takes place now that the Bible has been completed. Now, when I talk about the completion of the Bible, I'm talking about the 66 books of the Bible that you're holding in your hand, from Genesis to Revelation. We believe that God is no longer revealing new truth. We believe that God has nothing to add to this Bible. This Bible is completely finished, revealed in totality. There is no new truth that we need to hear or that we need to know. Now, that does not mean that God will not speak specifically to you about a specific situation in your life. But all I want to communicate to you is that if he does, it will always line up with his word. That's the guide there. That's the way that we understand and that we can determine and that we can decipher what is truth and what is lie based upon the baseline of Scripture. So before the Bible was completed, biblical prophecy could be a prediction. We see throughout the Old Testament, if you look in the prophetic books, the major prophets, if you look at Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, when you look at those guys, those books are chock full of prophecy. Some of the prophecies were to take place five years from when they were speaking the words. Some were to take place a thousand years from when they were speaking the words. And some have yet to, take, have yet to come true and have yet to uh, take place because it is a future event that they predicted. That they would talk about what was to come. If you look in verses 19 through 21, it talks about that. It says, Therefore, repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus, who has been appointed for you as the Messiah. 
Heaven must receive him until the time of the restoration of all things. It's talking about the return of Christ. Here in the prophetic books and what Peter is talking about here in this sermon is he's saying, listen, these things are yet to come. They have not taken place yet, but they will based upon the words of the prophets, based upon Moses, based upon Samuel and all the prophets that followed him. These are the prophecies that these men have made. We even see in verse 22 that Moses was a prophet. If you uh, know who the authors of the different books of the Bible, you're going to find that Moses, it's believed, wrote the first five books of the Bible. There's even a few psalms that it is believed that Moses wrote. Moses was a prophet who God communicated with directly, and the truth that God revealed to Moses, we believe Moses wrote down in the form of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Therefore, That is true biblical prophecy. That is revealed truth from God's mouth that has been given to us for us to hold to as the word of God. Also, we see that Samuel and his successors were prophets. As you go through the Old Testament, you're going to have several minor prophets. uh, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, all those guys were known as the minor prophets. And they were prophesying. They were speaking on behalf of God. As God was communicating to these men the words that he wanted us to have and wanted us to know, these men were pinning these writings down for us to have today. They were biblical prophets uh, participating in biblical prophecy. Abraham was even a prophet. We see in verse 25 there in that scripture that we're reading, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your ancestors, saying to Abraham, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through your offspring. Here we have a prophecy from the book of Genesis. When God spoke to Abraham and God called Abraham from Ur of the Chaldees, a a pagan city, and he said, Abraham, you are going to be the father of a great nation. Your seed is going to be as numerous as the sand on the seashore and as the stars of the sky. And I'm going to make you into a great nation and the world will be blessed through your seed. Well, that is a prophecy of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. As that prophecy speaks of the way the world is blessed through the seed of Abraham is because of Jesus of Nazareth. And we find the genealogy of Jesus where we can actually trace Jesus back to Abraham and we can prove that Jesus indeed was a descendant of Abraham and that Jesus is indeed the fulfillment of the prophecy that the world will be blessed through Abraham's seed. That is biblical prophecy. But we also see that there is biblical prophecy that takes place after the Bible was completed, after the Bible was finished. The gift of prophecy is used in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, and Romans chapter 12, verse 6. It says that in both of these instances, the Greek word used means to speak forth. There's a huge difference between forthtelling and foretelling. So here's the point that I'm making today. Biblical prophecy, when the Bible was still being written, when God was still communicating to the biblical writers his truth, when his revelation was in progress and unfolding, the biblical prophecy could have taken place in a few different ways. Number one, it could have been a prediction of the future. Also, it could have been just a stance on what the word already said and a proclaiming of the truth of already revealed truth. Well, now that the Bible is complete, Now that we understand that the Bible is fully completed, nothing left to add, nothing left to finish, nothing left to do, that now biblical prophecy only consists of forth-telling. In other words, proclaiming what has already been revealed. If it's already been revealed in God's Word, it's my job as a teacher and as a preacher to communicate this to you. 
It is not my job to receive new revelation from God and proclaim it to you. It is not my job to tell you what I had a dream about. It is not my job to tell you what I feel like is in your future. That is not my job as a modern-day preacher, as a modern-day teacher, as a modern-day pastor. My job is to be faithful to preach what has already been revealed. And you probably see now why it was necessary for there to be those prophets who spoke of the future, because the Bible was still unfolding The revelation that God was telling us about himself was still unfolding in a way that it was necessary that these men be given the revelation of God's truth so that it could be written, so they could have that communication from God. See, the people of the Old Testament knew less about God than we do today. Did you know that? We on the other side of the cross have so much more of the picture now laying before us than they had. They wouldn't have had Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They would not have had Acts and Romans. They would have not have had the, the book of Revelation. They wouldn't have had the fullness of the revelation of God because it was still unfolding. They would have had incremental understandings. They would have understood that there would be a Messiah that would come. They would have understood that God is going to save the nation of Israel. They would have understood those things, but they would not have had the fullness of the revelation like we do today because we live in in just a blessed time where not only do we live after the Bible was completed, but we live in an era where technology allows Bibles to be mass-produced. We live in in an era where we can go on our phones or on on the Internet and we can access full copies of of the Word of God. Now, we're enjoying something that no other civilization has enjoyed from from here all the way back to the 1500s until the printing press was made. So in today's understanding, we do have more knowledge of the Word of God, and that is the understanding of progressive revelation, of how God has slowly unfolded the truth of the Bible and the truth of who He is over the years and over the centuries. So since the completion of the Bible, those with the gift of prophecy proclaim the truth that has already been revealed. So what does that mean? Well, if you're in a church service and you have a pastor who stands before you and he says, I've been given a new word from the Lord. Today, you all need to drink Jack Daniel's whiskey. (laughs) Man, I heard somebody about say amen or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) They're embarrassed now, whoever it was. That's okay. We'll know right away, okay, wait a minute, new word from the Lord? Nah, now that, that's false. That's false doctrine, okay? And it could be something that actually makes a little more sense than that, okay? But regardless, that's how you can filter those things. Pastors today are to, are to uh, p- tell forth what God has already revealed. Jude, the, uh, verse 3 of the book of Jude says this, Dear friends, although I was eager to write you about the salvation we share... I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once for all. You notice how Jude is speaking there as though it has already been established? As though the faith and the word is a set deal? It's established. In other words, there's nothing new to add to it. It's not in progress, but it was established at a moment in time, and now there's nothing to be added. The Bible does seem to point to a transition from prophets that were receiving new revelation to prophets that were merely teaching already revealed revelation. Because 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 says this, There were indeed false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. That's interesting how they change the terminology there 
In other words, he's saying there were indeed false prophets among the people. In other words, past tense, there were false prophets, just as there will be false teachers among you. So why did they change that terminology? Why wouldn't it have said, just as there will be false prophets among you? So evidently there was a transition. They will bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them and will bring swift destruction on themselves. Today the key is not to be ignorant of the scriptures like those Jews were that we just spoke of. Don't be ignorant of the scriptures because you're going to believe a lie. The, the, the most prime candidates to be swallowed up into cult practices, to be swallowed up into false teachings and false heresies are those who come from mainstream denominations, Christian denominations, who are ignorant of the Word of God. I'm going to give you a couple of examples here today. So I've got three different books here. This one here is called The Great Controversy, and it's by a woman named Ellen G. White. Ellen G. White is a revered uh, theologian and author in Seventh-day Adventist life. And for many, many years, the Seventh-day Adventist held her writings at the same level as Scripture. So, in, so what I'm saying here is, is that at, what they did was they left open for Ellen G. White to direct their faith and to lead them into heretical teachings because they lifted it to the authority of the Word of God. And that's because they did not follow what I was just talking here. In other words, since the Bible has been closed... There is not to be any more authoritative revelation from God. It is complete in this Bible. So when people add books and writings to this, it's heretical, and we need to get rid of it. There's nothing wrong with uh, reading commentaries, reading Christian books, reading books about uh, biblical theology. But when people start to say this is on the same level as the revelation of God's Word, that's when there's a problem. Here is the Book of Mormon. Many of you are probably familiar with the Book of Mormon. Actually, on the front cover, it says that it is a, another testament of Jesus Christ. In other words, they're saying that Jesus did a lot of stuff, actually on the North American continent, back way back when, that the Bible doesn't speak of. And what they're doing is they're just helping us complete the incomplete revelation that we already have. My friends, that's a doctrine out of hell. See, the, you know how this came about? This is always a dangerous thing about cults as well. A man named Joseph Smith went up in the woods, and he said he had a vision. And there's actually uh, people that say that he was probably tripping on mushrooms. So he's back here in the woods. He gets this vision. And he says, God spoke to me and shared with me a new revelation. If you open the front cover, it actually talks about how this was to be accepted as the word of God. Mormons today live by this book. This is an extra-biblical book that they say is on par with the Word of God. And now you can see that they don't even believe that Jesus is God. You say, hey Ben, how did they get to a place where they don't believe Jesus is God? It's because they do not hold to a biblical understanding of prophecy. They do not hold to a biblical understanding that the Word of God is complete and perfect as it is, not to be added to or taken away from. Here we have um, L. Ron Hubbard's What is Scientology? And basically, this is all of L. Ron Hubbard's writings. Now, he was a man who lived uh, back in the, the 50s, died in the 80s. And you probably hear of a lot of celebrities who are in Scientology. Um, you know, all this going on. Some of you may have seen the documentary that's on Netflix about Scientology. But basically, what L. Ron Hubbard said was, is he said, I have found out the secret to life. 
He said, I know how to make your life better. I know how to heal you. I know how to keep you from suffering from diseases. If you'll just follow what I tell you, your life is going to be 100% better. He even tells people that they are gods and that they can have a clearer mind and they can reach their own deity, their own level of godliness. So to a Scientologist, this is the words of God. To a Scientologist, this is truth, and they will live and die by this book. What's so interesting about L. Ron Hubbard is that he died of a stroke. Well, in his writings, he says that he can heal people of those very things, but he couldn't heal himself, evidently. So when we think about these things, we understand we see cults all over the world. We wonder, how in the world can somebody believe something so crazy as to, as to come to a place where Jesus is not even God anymore? Uh, where you think about Jehovah's Witnesses who say that Jesus is the Archangel Michael. And, and they don't tell you this in their writings, but if you ask one, is Jesus the Archangel Michael? They'll tell you yes. How did they get there? Well, there was a man named Charles Taze Russell who decided that he was going to retranslate the Bible. And he was going to take all the parts in the Bible out about the fact that Jesus is God. And he, in fact, did that. It's called the New World Translation today. If you have one, that is not a legitimate translation of the Bible because, again, it has been added to and things have been taken from the pure, revealed Word of God. And that's where those troubles and those issues come about. So as a Bible-believing church in the year 2022, we must hold to a biblical understanding of prophecy that today, since this Bible has been completed, there's nothing left to add that there is no one here that is going to speak on divine authority of God. There is no one here that is going to give us new truth. There is no one here that is going to add to this. This is it. And when I stand up here and preach, if I preach anything, then this right here, then I'm not doing my job. If I perpetuate something that is new truth or additional truth or contradictory to this, y'all need to fire me and get rid of me because that's how important the Word of God is. So the modern-day prophets are pastors and preachers who forth tell the word of God, the already revealed truth. Let's pray.